I want to get the video of inside someone's anus and then put the audio of Fred talking about how he wouldn't mind someone shooting video inside his anus and put that over the top. <laughs> Just him casually being like, yeah, you know, wouldn't be so bad. Welcome to Fangin' Around. This is uh, episode 35, is it? Yes, check that. I'm recording on the 7th of January, 2013. 2013, it's the future already. I said that last year and the year before, but this year I mean it even more than those years because it's even more futuristic. We're super duper in future. Campbell's. Um, I've made a wreck of this Kilkenny. (laughs) Um, this is how futuristic we are. Um, I've just cracked a can of uh, Irish uh, beer in Australia. Fresh. Now, is it true that these beers are better out of the can than in the tap? If you're not in Ireland. I've heard that rumor. Well, see, I should have really should have thought ahead and put the glasses in the freezer so mine's already gone warm. We're in the middle of a heat wave in Perth. I mean, not in Perth, I should say. The heat wave in Perth is probably technically broken, but Australia is going through a massive heat wave. We're probably going to wake up tomorrow to find 200 people dead in New South Wales because they've got record fire warnings and, you know, the firebox is going, oh, my God, we've got to get out there and start those fires. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. And we've got to give a shout-out to Tazra because his state of Tasmania has been devastated by fire, so we hope he's okay. Um, yeah, good luck over there. We can't afford to lose any of our listeners because, um, or any Tasmanians, yeah, because they're probably the the coolest ones, the coolest from the land of love. Mm. We call it. It's the Paris of the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I'm James. I'm Campbell. Um, just two of us, and because uh, of the heat wave, we're recording inside my house, so you notice an echo. I'm very sorry about that. The shed is like un. You mean Livable. our usual sound studio? Our shed. Sorry. Or is that what we call it? Shed, the yeah. shed. Jimmershim shed. We just call it a shed. It's not really a shed. It's more of a corrugated iron box. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, You've almost half finished your Kilkenny already. I, mine's still settling. It's settled now. Mine? Yeah. You reckon that's settled? It looks settled to me from my Okay. Let yeah. I me... Mean, I, the reason I had Kilkenny was because I was watching Anthony Bourdain's going to England eating old British food, you know, weird oh, yeah. food, and I couldn't quite be stuffed going and making offal or something, but I went and bought some British sausages and some mash and some peas and some Kilkenny. <laughs> oh, really? Well, yeah. Probably not a good thing to eat in a heatwave, but I didn't know what else to well, do. Well, you've got to do what you've got to do. I think sushi is probably the only sensible thing to eat yeah. in a heatwave, really. But that takes a bit more effort. You know, here's a pro tip from me to you. If you're ever in Coles or Woolworths or something and you're wanting to make sushi and you're wanting to buy the rice and you're wanting to buy the nori, the seaweed paper, right? Ten sheets, it's like $4 or something Mm -hmm. crazy, right? Go to to an Asian supermarket. Mm -hmm. I bought a packet of 500 sheets for $10. (laughs) Okay? Yeah. And before, I was like a princess with these things. I was treating these things like, you know, my only child. Like, oh, so careful. Hmm. Um, when you've got 500, I was just shoving them in my mouth. I, I just eat them by the fistful. Yeah. You know? Because um, they're delicious just by themselves. The 
The seaweed. All right. Yeah. Just a source of salt. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. You rip it into shreds and put it in a bowl and you just sit there snacking while you're doing work. So, one day in a heat wave had to stop. I was at work and I do, in a a four-hour shift, I burn 700 calories (coughs) or whatever. I had to stop because I was about to faint and get by some Gatorade to boost my electrolytes. Really? Which I haven't done Sometimes I keep an emergency tin of baked beans with me. For when I'm, oh, just some energy. energy. Yeah, yeah. Just one of the. I had energy. Cakes. I just did. I have a very low salt diet, so I. How's your diet going? How's it all going? Well, it's non-existent at the moment. Why can't diet in the heat wave? Why not? Isn't it the best time to diet? Uh, or is it dangerous? Because I'm not. Well, I guess on days that I'm working, I'm burning it off. But on the days that I'm not working, it's too hot to, just disgustingly hot to exercise. And I'm hungry, just as hungry as I am, because my body's got used to the amount of calories that I'm eating on the higher calorie diet. So hopefully the heat wave will die and go back on. Yeah. Um, plus various summer events means alcohol, which slowly screws things up. Yeah, right. Because last time you were, I remember when you first started, you were sort of saying, well, I didn't do this today so I can have these glasses of wine. But you're not doing that anymore? Uh, yeah, I guess technically I can, but like today I did nothing. I came out of bed, sat under the air vent and only moved to set the podcast up. (laughs) So once I arrived. I burned zero calories until I arrived. I've eaten three meals. Have you thought about getting, um, I remember, remember the dirty web, the infamous dirty web, um, this guy called, well, we can't release his first name, but his last name was Webster. Yeah. Back in high school and he 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 was referred to as the dirty web. No one for partying and whatnot. But he um I remember him bragging at high school about how he got so ripped. Mm. And his um hot tip was uh do you remember those infomercials for those I'm sure you can't buy them anymore. They must be illegal. But it was like a um like little electrical pads that you put onto your body and it gives you a small electric shock to um, cause your muscles to involuntarily yeah, flex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said he'd go to sleep with it on his abdominal, mm. just to you know. So he's working out while he was sleeping. Cool. There's a whole mad. Have you thought about that? <laughs> I'm just saying. No. Um, well, the the diet's working normally, so I wasn't going to change anything. Um, but there's a whole madman episode about that. About Peggy has to try out the things, but turns out. The reason it's so popular among women is because they get an orgasm when they they put it on their the JJ and it vibrates. Oh, I think I remember seeing that episode. So they were trying to work out a subtle way to promote that um, feeling good added benefit of the product in the ads without being disgraceful, overtly describing. That's cool. Um, Last time we were on, I mentioned a couple of films. We were in a bit of a rush, so in the consuming section, so. Uh, I saw Dark Knight Rises, yeah, which has been a long time coming. Yeah, and you guys all abstained from talking about it because I hadn't seen it. Well, you talked about it in shadows and vagaries. All right, yeah. So, do you want to do you want to give me your opinion on the film now? Um, well, I I really really enjoyed it, but I think it was just terribly. It's one of the worst edited films I've ever seen. Um, there's like so many scenes where they're lingering on a shot too long or there's so many shots where they're 
cutting away too fast and you you want to see what's what's there mm. and the, the the whole um and that really bugged me because i think you could you could i think you could re- re-edit that into like a great film rather than at the moment it's just like oh yeah it's the finale to the it's like it's more of a sequel to batman begins like it's almost as if the dark knight never happened really apart from him having the events of that causing him to retire for eight years which you know some people have problems with but i don't really care yeah, I pretty much agree. Like, Liz and I were sitting there watching it going, this isn't quite working. Like, it's like it's like most of it's really good, but for some reason it didn't work as a whole. Yeah. So, you're sitting there not... not yeah. I, I wasn't but invested in it. I didn't not, care about it. And it would be even... I, I'll never watch it again because I last saw it on IMAX, the biggest mm. IMAX in the world. And it's like a spectacle and you're just... You're like... It takes up your entire periphery vision... And you're in that world. And that was like the way he wanted you to see it. And so it was kind of amazing. But then I'm like, so you don't really like, there's so many flaws with like the plot, like the whole, the entire police force going in a tunnel, marching down the tunnel. Um, But when you're in that world, you're like psyched up. Oh man, they're sending the whole police force down that world, into that world. And um, um, I, I thought, I really loved Catwoman. I thought she was going to be so lame because I'm not an oh. Anne Hathaway fan. But I really oh, you're not an it. Anne Hathaway fan. No. See, I have great faith in Anne Hathaway. Right. But she, even she, blew me away because I was yeah. a bit dubious. I was like, oh, how are they going to play this off? And she was just amazing. And I, she's the best Catwoman. I've, I haven't read or seen much Batman, but she's the best one I've seen because she just did feel like a real character. Yeah. Which is like what. Dark Knight. You know how we we were talking. If you listen to Fang Tracks, and we mentioned before when I saw talk about Rewin, and we're talking about seeing movies in context and how they change. And I think like our generation's one in terms of film maturity. One really big one is the Dark Knight because that was like you know that went, which is it that really said, hey, let's make this really sort of um, great political film in a completely politically mature film in a completely fantasy world, you know, and yeah, yeah. just took itself seriously. Uh, even though it had the stupid, weird elements like the, the bat, um, the, the bat sonic vision or whatever. <laughs> oh, look, it had goofy stuff all through it. Yeah. It was riddled with goof, but it, it managed to balance it really mm. well, I think. You know, it was, it was, it was... Yeah, it grounded itself so well. Yeah. I've never seen a movie... Most movies, to ground themselves, they have to just be gritty and they have to just be... Oh, it was pretty gritty, though. Um, you know, have be ultra-violent. That's how it... ground. This one ground itself with the dialogue. It wasn't like... There was some great lines that wasn't all cheesy... Um, which is what they went wrong with, I think, with Dark Knight Rises. Like, I just didn't believe that scene, you know, when um, Michael Caine quits. Oh, that just... I was like, what the fuck? And he'd said that... And exact- that's, again, unless they could have edited that to fix that problem. Like, That was bizarre. It obviously didn't work on set. And they, so they, should, have, they should have cut it just to make it work. But rather than they're like, oh, no, we've got to keep this in for Michael Caine. But I'm like, it's just not working, you know. I think you could have even done without that storyline 
yeah, of, of so. Michael Caine quitting. Like if it, if you if I mm. cut the film and I saw that, I'd just be like, yeah. no, just cut that because it doesn't matter that he quit or not. Yeah, it yeah. really doesn't make any difference. Um, I mean, but that that that's had that same problem in dark in the Dark Knight with Lucius Fox had that same thing. Like, oh, I'm I'm gonna yeah. quit if I find this morally unsound. And yeah. Well, it's a yeah. I, I and one of the biggest problems I had with um with the Dark Knight Rises was. I found Batman slash Bruce Wayne to be a wholly unlikable, unsympathetic character in that film. And I couldn't care less about him. But I found Bane and Talia Al Ghul Ghul, um, completely wonderful and likable and sympathetic characters. Like their fairy tale sort of... Backstory yeah. mm-hmm. was so arresting and so, you know, captivating that I was like, well, they should succeed. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like, yes, it's a terrible thing that they're going to, you know, destroy Gotham with a nuclear weapon. Yes, that's awful. But is it really so awful to kind of, um, you know, overthrow the one percenters of mm. Gotham? You know, this inequitable system. Isn't yeah. that a just thing to do? And and so I'm sort of, sort of sitting there going well, you know, I don't think it's such a bad thing, you know? And I don't know if that's just because of my political mm. leaning, but I just think Bruce Wayne was set up as such an unlikable, lethargic, kind of boring, almost, you know, like he'd given up and it was like, well, why should I care? Mm. You know? And uh, mm-hmm. But then I, I felt like I knew that was going to happen because he looked at the end of Dark Knight Rises, he looked like he'd given up, like... Dark Knight Rises or Dark Knight? Uh, sorry, The Dark Knight, the second one. You know, like, obviously... I think that was good. I think that's good as a storyline. I just don't think it worked. Mm. You know, I think that idea of... And, you know, it was funny because I've, I've deliberately avoided reading anything about The Dark Knight Rises because I knew I wouldn't see it in the cinema and for mm. a while. So, I actually went into it not knowing anything, mm. really. And um, so, I was watching and I was going, oh, this looks like a combination of The Nightfall series um the uh dark knight returns and what was the third storyline i can't even remember oh no man's land from the batman and that's exactly the three stories that they merged and it was sort of like you know those are great stories to kind of combine and um very clever and you know i thought there was good stuff but then oh some really bad decisions i think it just Mm -hmm. didn't it didn't come together it's like he had all these epic elements and this massive story and it just didn't gel. And I guess what you're saying is the editing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't... I'm sure there were problems on the set, but I think it was just really badly edited. The, the, like, where the focus was. Like, I, I was funny, like, I was watching this... There's this YouTube channel that does, like, um, honest... I think it's called Honest Trailers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they I think I've one, seen one, and their sort of complaint was like Batman's only in the film for like five minutes, like because he's yeah. basically has his back broken or he's away or yeah, he is. It's a Batman movie without Batman. And I think I think when we discussed it, one of your complaints. Oh, and that, I think I wonder that's they had so much pressure to set up. Um, what's his name? Third Rock from the Sun guy. Mm-hmm. Gordon Levitt. Yeah, Joseph Gordon Levitt to be like the new thing they can franchise and i you know i thought that was 
I thought that was really good. And his character and Anne Hathaway's character of Catwoman were both like so much fun in the movie. Mm. And I was like, fuck that. I want those two to hook up and I want to watch a movie about those two. Well, that's Forget- fun, the- well, no. Forget the other ones. Um, I thought the ending, like the last two minutes or so, mm. was far better, uh, a far better ending than that film deserved. Yeah. Like the last few minutes, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is wicked. And Michael Caine's off in um, Florence and you see him there and then you're like, oh, Batman's going to be there. And... Um, you know, just should have, again, batted and they should have just ended the nod. You didn't yeah, yeah. See. No, you don't need to see it. No, it would have been much better I if he just like, looked up from his coffee, seen him, smiled. I almost shouted at the screen when they... Yeah, that was too much. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you haven't seen Inception. I haven't. But um, I'll see Inception. I've managed to avoid all spoilers for Inception as well. I was about to spoil a bit. Which is pretty amazing, don't you think? It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, Inception's incredibly just as flawed, but also has awesome bits in it as well. Like, I can't even watch the end of it. Like, I, sorry, I can't watch the first half of the third act. It's yeah. just deplorable. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's like, you watch the two-thirds and I skip to the final scene of the movie, and that's what you need. <laughs> it's just this one big fight scene that goes for like an hour, and I'm just like, this is just so boring. Yeah, and but of course, all the people are like, oh my God, the fight scene's so awesome. And that's, you know, people complain about, oh, the Superman returns. Oh, I didn't have enough fight scenes. I'm like, what? The fight scenes that Superman wins every time? Fight scenes, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've gotten to a point where fight scenes are just like the worst thing ever. Mm. And I was quite serious when I said last uh, episode that I'd watched The Hobbit, Skyfall, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Dark Knight Rises and Bridget Jones's Diary all in a week. And Bridget Jones's Diary really did have the best mm. fight scene. It really was. The Hobbit, I just, my eyes just glazed over yeah. during the fights. I think Jackson directs the worst action sequences, just full stop. He has surrounded himself with a crew of amazing concept artists. He's working with this incredible world, you know, so he can't really go too wrong. But when the action starts, I just, oh, it's a snore fest, man. Um, it just really feels video gamey in the worst possible way. I read some statistics. That someone who who studied the last samurai or something who said that the longest ever fight to the death he'd seen was like six seconds or something in a sword fight. Yeah, yeah. Or I think it was in strokes or something. You know, like how many yeah. swipes it is. It's like six swipes, and yeah. in that's like really and long fight. Pretty much every, and and this is why I'll never make it in Hollywood. Every fight scene that I write is like think that in mind, like yeah. It's the build up and then the fight scene's over. But that's like a, that's that's how a lot of Japanese samurai films are cut together. Yeah, yeah. Like if you ever watch any of the Lone Wolf and Cub series, that's amazing because what they'll do is they'll set up this duel at the start. You know, like mm. there's someone's after him and yeah, he's going to yeah. kill it, and there's just this tension building as this pursuit and this cat and mouse, and then the end they're just standing there. You know, and they'll just stand there looking at each other for mm. ages and ages, and they'll run and. <laughs> And that's it. Yeah. And then one of them will die. But yeah. because you've been leading up to this one moment and you know it's going to be over so quick, mm. it's amazing, you know? And yeah. it's almost the exact opposite of what we expect from, you know, the sort of even from Shane, you know, the classic Western film where the fight scenes just go on for like 10 minutes. Um. And it's like even, you know, even in the news, you know, so much this this... Uh, kind of plague of king hit, people being king hit, 
you know, like one hit and people are hospitalized yeah. and in a coma. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's full on. Um, you haven't seen The Hobbit, have you? No. No, I'm, I'll let you go, probably go to see it tomorrow. Did you see Skyfall? Yes. Oh, yeah, we spoke about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the one thing I was re- only... The, the only thing I was really disappointed with with Skyfall was... Um, the the villain the the mm. girl oh well the girl villain sorry right. who was in the film for like a oh, tiny amount of yeah, time the, is it the Hong Kong girl yeah and Macau, yeah. because the bad Bond girls are always so much fun yeah and she was doing such an amazing job of like hamming it up in the best possible kind of mm. way and it was very kind of Xenia on a top from Goldeneye it was that sort of really dangerous mm. really aggressive. Um, fantastic character and then they killed her off and I was like oh. <laughs> like killed her off really quickly yeah and not in a satisfying way like. no I actually was confused as to whether she died or not yeah because Bond said this sort of he was um, the he was bad guy so... yeah blase about it like the bad guy said well what do you call that and Bond was like oh a waste of good scotch or something yeah. and from that I took it to mean that she flinched or something and mm. spilt the glass or he winged her or something but he no, he killed her, and I and I didn't actually get that, and I kept waiting for her to pop back up up again, and then at the end of the film she wasn't, and I was like, <laughs> um, but again, boring action with the, all the explosions that go on and on yeah. and on and on. Although it did have a fantastic fist fight scene, I thought with the um, sniper in Hong Kong when. Bond confronts the sniper. Oh, right. Yeah. But yeah. And it's but just really quick. Confusing as well, yeah. It's really quick. It's that one shot mm. and it's them silhouetted against yeah, yeah. the moving billboard. I thought that was amazing oh, and oh, really yeah. tense. It that was, was, that was fantastic. Bond looking, looking Bond film I've seen. Mm. Except for the CGI, which I thought was atrocious. I think there's good. Um, I'm, well, there's another thing I watched that I should talk about that. Um, but I, I think, I think I've said this before in a podcast. I think it's going to be big I'm sure there has to be I feel like there has to be a big backlash against CGI because it's just becoming a joke where I just don't believe anything that's happening I can see the wires on the puppet all the time and I'm just like if you can't do it for real maybe you shouldn't do it you know like um you know, You're talking you, about the figurative wires of the puppet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? No. That was the so, Brad Bird? Yeah. Um, see, that was quite good. That was probably the better ones recently because, you know, I couldn't see where the CGI started and it didn't begin. It really, like, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is swinging around the top of, you know, the Burj Dubai or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And... I it I couldn't tell what was going on. That was one of some of the best CGI I've seen. Oh, as in you couldn't tell if it but was... But I, I have a feeling that actually filmed most of it for real, you know? Yeah, didn't they? Um, so, yeah. Um, that was good. Anyway, I watched this documentary called Side by Side by Keanu Reeves. People were talking about that yeah. at work today. I yeah, haven't it's, seen it's it. it's on Ivy. Oh, okay. I'll That's why I watched it, it last night. And... Um, it's he's talking about the future of like digital filmmaking is he yeah like the transition from celluloid to digital film and um 
And it was actually quite good. I thought it was going to be just a bunch of people whinging about, oh, film's going away. Um, but no, it was it was quite good. Like, um, like the people who were who were pro it, I didn't even know their names. But like, it was funny seeing like Scorsese and that going, hey, um, you know, it, it's just the reality that, you know, I've lived this privileged life where I can shoot film. And now I can't sit on the laurels of having the resources to, make, you know, shoot film. I have to actually do a good story. You know, that's... What so, what is shooting films like a privilege? Yeah, because almost. it's out of reach of the common man. You have to oh, be okay. powerful or rich or powerful to have access to that resources, you mm. know. Or you have to be sleeping with the right person, you know. Um, rather than you can get a thousand, less sub thousand dollar DSLR and get really good looking it's insane like because yeah. uh, we're, look, we're looking at going away later this year and i was looking at um upgrading my camera and you know like even the equivalent model which is just like a thousand dollar entry level mm. the same model of my camera mm. now shoots full hd mm. and it's just like wow you know like even imagine if we had that sort yeah of five years ago sort of thing it's just it, or 10 years ago it boggles the mind to think um, and for that cost, you know, mm. and you're shooting such quality and, you know, you can, you can pull focus, you can do mm. all that sort of, you know, it's not, it's not a amateurish device yeah. anymore. It's something that's really going to produce amazing results, even at that level. I mean, I mean, the, the, the one problem, and this is the one problem that, you know, I face, obviously, I, is that when you do have a film car- camera, people respect you more <laughs> all right. and, you know, cause it's costing a hundred dollars a second, you know, with a yeah. film. Um, people feel the pressure to perform, you know. It's you know, harder when you're working with amateur actors who just aren't professional at all and you don't have that them under that kind of pressure, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll just screw around or don't put any effort into expect, I don't know. You know what would be great? Yeah. If you were to purchase, like, the body of a film camera. Yeah. Like a, like a, a broken one. It wouldn't yeah, matter. Yeah. You know, aesthetically, it looks yeah, the yeah. part and mounting a digital camera within it <laughs> yeah. so they wouldn't know. Yeah. And you go, you know, you get it all ready and you're like, all right, well, you know, we've got the can in there. We're going to yeah. film. You've got, you know, you've got to get this thing. You start filming. It. There's, uh, I won't, don't want to spoil it too much, but there is a funny moment about that, just that topic on uh, that David Fincher says, talks about. Oh, really? Not about that topic, but just that idea of having a, a film reel on a digital camera and stuff like that. Have you heard of this thing, this new thing uh, of sending, like, uh, temporary digital images? It's like an oh, app. Yeah, Snapchat, yeah. Snapchat. Yeah. But that's going to be fraught with problems. Oh, yeah, it is. Cause because, shortly, you know, if, if, if a girl sent me, just hypothetically, if a mm. girl sent me a Snapchat invitation, mm. I don't know how it works, but surely you get, oh, you know, oh, beep, someone wants to send yeah. you a message. I just get my camera ready. No, you don't even have to. You or just, you just get your screenshot ready. Yeah, you just got that. You know, whatever the feature is and boom. Yeah. As yeah. soon as I heard about it, Not I was only like... that, is the cool thing is that because iPhones are backed up on the cloud, um, you know, if you know your ex-girlfriend's password to her iCloud account, which is her buying her iTunes thing, which is something people commonly share, yeah. you know, because people, oh, can I buy this or rent this movie? And sure, here's the password for my iTunes account. It's yeah. not a password that people readily give out. Like, I know my parents' password. Yeah. You can go on there and download their entire iPhone 
the contents of the iPhone and those photos will be cached somewhere in there and you'll be able to go in and... You know, it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> Digitize anything. This isn't Mission it, Impossible, yeah. you know, this message of self-destruct. Yeah. It's, you know, it, when someone told me about it and I was like, that's a cool idea. And then I was mm. like, wait, no, it's yeah. not really. I mean, it's, it's a cute idea if you're sending... Not if you're not sexting, yeah, but basically yeah. it's it basically it's a tool for sexting, yeah. right? Um, no, you'll get caught out. There was a girl at Kalis who, who, um, whose boyfriend uploaded, like when they broke up, uploaded the pictures she sent her to her, like a porn site. And what was weird is they actually, um, someone took one of the pictures, and, um, like. It, 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 you know how on, um, uh, like the Pirate Bay, you get those oh, there's like dodgy dating ads. sites or yeah, yeah, like, yeah, on the side, like yeah, meet a Russian plus, bride or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it appeared in those ads. No like way. Someone stole it and you know because they have like you know a hundred pics of girls in like little boxes. And yeah. Those, yeah, someone grabbed her. That's how she found out that it was. No way. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. So that that would be the to, weirdest feeling, yeah. wouldn't? Um, wow. But uh, we have to ask Fred about this because obviously he's having a long distance relationship. Well, this is going to be the problem. We'll check in on his sexting adventures. Uh, I think I know his um, iTunes uh, password. Oh, so, really? Yeah. yeah, we'll get uh, all his sausage, sausage snaps that he sends <laughs> back uh, across the Speaking Atlantic. Speaking of that, show notes. We have show, show notes, notes on fangaround.com. You can see a picture of Campbell blowing chunks into a bathtub. Oh, wicked. Not an action shot, a post shot. I was going through my old iPhoto because... Not my old iPhoto, just my iPhoto because I'm up to like 70,000 shot photos or something crazy. Yeah. And it just... It doesn't work anymore. And I was looking at like, what the fuck do you do when your iPhoto gets so big your computer won't actually deal with it? Um, I think you just have to copy it onto a more powerful computer. Oh, I was just so annoyed. <laughs> because now I can't even upload any more photos onto it. It just... it. it It'll just be like, yep, we're going to upload, a th- you know, 500 new photos and it, mm-hmm. like, it'll do two and then it'll just turn off. It'll just go, no, photos is a really hard thing to manage. Like music, you know, I bought iTunes Match and that that just looks after my music for you. And, mm. you know, I mean, I think there are some limitations, like maybe 25,000 songs or something, I can't remember. But for me, it seems to be working at managing the music and so I don't have to worry about my music. I just have it with me as long as I have it. As long as I have an Apple device. Mm. Um, but photos, it's hard. Like, I guess the only way to really do it is to have them on the network and then loading it. I tried that once and it was really slow, like opening iPhoto, loading when I was trying to load the, the, the database off mm. the, over the Wi-Fi or whatever. It's um, not pleasant. It's not pleasant. And I know I've got duplicates of things as well. And it's like I was looking at apps to try to get rid of yeah. duplicates and I was kind of trying to go through manually and then some of the duplicates are like be the full file size and some of them are like mm. thumbnails that have then been re-imported and so I'm like oh fuck I don't want to delete the wrong ones and so it's just insane in there and um, yeah, not pleasant so it'll be interesting in the future when I migrate I'm not really looking forward to this migration process because I, I just I just feel something's going to go wrong you know well, just make sure you have a backup of... Hey, I've got everything backed up thrice. So, But I'm just like, no, something's going to go real wrong, you know? Mm. Um, speaking of, like, you know, Talia Agul and Bane oh, yeah. winning and just nuking... Nuking... Um, Gotham. Gotham. I saw another documentary 
where they that would be the best solution to the problem, which was um, what was the problem? The Vice Guide to Liberia. What? <laughs> the Vice Guide, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Vice, yeah, and yeah. I know their guides, and I know Liberia. Uh, yes, yeah, so they went to Liberia, and um, and they said that like, you should just nu- nuke the place. No, that's my solution. Oh, um, because like this, there's this whole slum where they just sit in their own feces and do drugs and they're all like young kids like <gasps> they can barely breathe because they've done so much drugs and stuff and it doesn't look like yeah. it, it's almost like putting them out of their misery oh okay like and you're dealing with like a million people here it's not like in even australia if we just dropped a million drug addicts into australia australia wouldn't even know what to do with them like we wouldn't be able to have the facilities to get them all off drugs yeah it'd probably better just nuke them and then <laughs> that's gonna come across as like racism but i'm not saying that you need to watch this this is insane this country is just i don't know what's going on this just complete chaos like they have um they sort of one of the main people they go to visit is this guy called um butt naked and he's this general who used to go to war oh naked naked yeah i've heard of that and um he used to take the children um take the children and um cut them up and feed them to his soldiers and the idea being that if you eat an innocent child you the bullets won't hit you and so Jesus that's what he would Christ. do to give them and, and so they found this guy and, and met him and now he's like a you know a, like an evangelist priest kind of guy and, you know spreading jesus you know and, and he says you know he has obviously has nightmares from just feeding thousands of children to his troops um but it's just so understated it's just like so haunting just listen to him talk about stuff like his past like because now he's just like a regular guy you know and he's obviously doesn't seem to be messed up by drugs like the other the people in the rest of the city and it's just it is like this is worse than you know what's joseph conrad's book heart of darkness it's it's like that but real and a, a million times worse you Ooh. know so you're thinking you're, you're describing it kind of almost hell on earth yeah it is hell they i mean you have to that the the limited police there are have to go around and shut down people selling human flesh at the butchers you know Ooh. like this is a day this is like a daily thing for them really um you know that these they go into a, like a brothel in the middle of this slum at night and oh my god i'm just like what are you doing there like i just don't know how they the crew didn't die you know there's no like electricity in the slum at night so you're just walking through with your lights on and you just see people in the corners doing drugs and it is the living incarnation of hell um so yeah i recommend watching that i think it's the vice i'll put it in the show notes but i think it's the vice guy to Anyway, Vice goes to Liberia. That's what it's all about. Oh, gross. Imagine just going to war, all drugged up on opiates, um, blood streaming down your face from eating a child, and completely naked, and just going into battle. Like, it's quite foul. That, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's that sort of thing where, as an atheist, you know, I don't really believe in any afterlife, mm. and I don't really believe in any divine judgment so i think 
you know, it's up to us to construct the best living conditions we can here Mm. while we're here. And, and for those reasons as well, I think it's, you know, perfectly fine for, well, I guess to judge other humans and Mm. their actions, you know, because I don't believe in any sort of divine judgment. I don't believe at the end of your life, you know, your heart is put on a scale with a feather and you're judged or, or, you know, any sort of things like that, that there's a running tally. So I think for humans to hold other humans accountable for their actions and choices is, is a, as a, is a, a just thing to do. Mm. But then of course, you know, I'm sure this general butt naked was, believing he was mm. doing just that that he was believe he believed at that time he was doing the just right thing mm. so how do you yeah oh, but God. i mean and the thing is like this this religion in this situation actually had a positive outcome like he him converting to religion uh you know encouraged so many other people to um convert religion and now instead of the people who did convert with him instead of shooting people they're like trying to build compounds and recreate the food chain and and live happy and i don't know what the vice guy's ideology is but the, the story that he was showing in the document is that i don't know if it was intentional that religion bringing christianity i should say because obviously those ideas of eating children was based on ideas of their own culture but bring is done has done a positive thing you know um and it's it's it was quite it was almost just as disturbing you know like how nice it is now but it's all based on christian ideals you know um but they just lost complete control of just shut off from the rest of the world and just gone insane but you know they see that they have that situation on on a microcosm like you know when hurricane katrina hit new orleans and people all the poor people had to shelter inside that that the big stadium under Mm. the roof and there was no power in there and people talked about getting raped and murders and stuff and that that sounded like something out of joseph conrad book just in in that microcosm of chaos raining on this Mm. Um, it's kind of terrifying to think of what becomes of humans once the rug mm. is pulled out from under them, you know? Yes, indeed. Which, which is interesting, like, they deal with that, you know, in, in The Walking Dead. It's just people just go freaking <laughs> nuts. Yeah. How much of Walking Dead have you been watching? I'm up to date. Okay. So you've kept, you've stuck with it. Do you yeah. think the show turned a corner at any point? Nah. Or do you I think, think if, if you're you... out now, you might as well stay out. Okay. That's how what I felt. I was like, I don't feel like this is going to get me. The, the, the most recent season was probably one of the best seasons. Well, yeah, because the second season is just at the farm. They never leave the farm until like the end. So, But even that's fine. Like, I don't care where it's set. But I just mm. didn't care about any of the characters. Like, I really didn't. Yeah. None of them... None of them well, you were won't. sympathetic. They just get worse and worse. That's the, yeah. I mean, that's the whole idea. The only, the only thing, and I think it, the only thing that got me even slightly interested was when, and I, got, I don't know their names, there's the two sheriff, or the, there's the two cops, right? Yeah. The bad cop, right? Mm. He goes with the fat farm guy to the high school to get medical supplies. Oh, right. So, you got that far. 
I got that far. Oh, yeah. And he's telling the story of how the fat cop, mm. or the fat guy got grabbed and yeah, whatever. Yeah. But then you actually see what happened and he mm-hmm. shot him so that they grab. You know, I thought that was a great moment. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, that was decent. But everything leading up to that, every everything, I was just like, oof, whatever. I guess if you got that far, you can keep going, but... Oh, I d- but uh, I didn't want to. I was just mm. like, well... You know, that was the only thing. That was the only, like, twist or interesting moment in so far in that whole program. Yeah, well, that's where it starts getting a bit better, but not, not enough to go, oh, my God, you got to watch yeah. this. And, you know, I was thinking just today, you know, there was all these complaints, and, and there has been in sort of nerd culture, um, this sort of... Uh, this subsection of nerd culture that seems really affronted and offended and upset by um, the kind of contemporary uh, depiction of vampires as being this sort of romantic, lustful, sexualized monster, you know? Mm. And we saw it with Interview with a Vampire, and it's been it's been part of vampire lore since the beginning of vampire stories. And mm. throughout all cultures, you know, there are these tales of seductive demonic spirits and whatnot. And, you know, obviously it kind of manifested itself most brazenly in the Twilight series. Um, but I have I have far less problem with that than with this sort of zombie fetish, which is almost like a... Which almost seems to capture this... I don't know, like a... It's like a gun fetish mixed with torture porn... And it, and survivalist um, fantasies, yeah, sort of, yeah. you know, it seems to be this really kind of bizarre, twisted um, concoction of, um, uh, I guess, almost fetishes that uh, um, that it has now come to represent, and is so prevalent in a lot of nerd culture. It's this like, it's this survivalist, you know, no one else, you can't count on anyone else, guys. It's just you. Um, and you're going to be chopping up all those humans, you know, all the bodies. They're just like humans, only you've, now you've got an excuse. Plus, you're getting to do all that cool stuff you saw. You know, it's tapping into all of that in a really unsettling way, I find. Mm. And I don't think I'm being too prudish because, you know, like I like a bit of a bit of that sort of slapsticky or, you know, schlocky, horror stuff when it's clever. But zombies are just everywhere. And I think they kind of... Discussion of zombie survivalist stuff just brings out the worst in people. <laughs> Even just when it's just hypothetical. Yeah. And I think we've discussed it before on this on Fanging Around where I find it really really just it just angers me to think that there are people really seriously preparing for this sort of zombie apocalypse. <laughs> As though it's a thing. It's yeah. like, no, 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 we've already got apocalypses happening. There's yeah, already yeah. awful shit happening. Let's go fix that stuff. Like, put your energy into those things, not sharpening your samurai sword and, and you know, hockey outfit to, mm. I don't know. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, um, but I, I do kind of understand. I, I don't get the, the... I mean, I don't get most of horror. I sometimes feel like... And I'll li- I know some people who are really into horror and I should get them on the show just to talk about what what's the what's happening in the horror genre that's really, you know, big and like, why is it important and stuff like that. Because um, I don't know really what I'm talking about because I've barely seen any horror films. But it feels to me like a good horror film is a bit like a, a, 
a James Bond film pre-Casino Royale where you've got to have the gadget scene. You've got to have the, the car doing a cool thing. You've got to have him going, I'm Bond, James Bond. He's There's got boxes that need ticking. Ticking, yeah. And that's that's what horror, a good horror film is like, oh, yeah, they've got a scene where someone gets their head cut off with mm. a chainsaw and that's that's good, you know. Mm. And did you see the new Evil Dead trailer? I did, actually. I watched yeah. it a few days ago. And it's like, oh, this must be good. I saw everyone t- good. I'm guessing I didn't really understand. I guess the last shot is a bit freaking it. Freaky. With the tongue? Yeah. On the knife? Yeah. But other than that, I was just like, I don't get it. Yeah, for me, I was like... Well, they had so many cut scenes and only one scene actually affected me. Like, yeah. Yeah, all the rapid fire cuts and stuff. Mm. I mean, I find it I find it strange that they're rebooting from the first Evil Dead film. Mm. Because that one in the trilogy is is the anomaly. Mm. You know, it was, the, it was the big one. It was mm. the big one in terms of the breakthrough one. But the second one and the third one really introduced all these humour elements. Yeah, and yeah. so, by the third film, it was a complete slapstick. It wasn't at all horrifying. It mm. wasn't at all scary. But it was brilliant. Like, mm. uh, for me, lots of most people, they like the second one. Because it has that... It's, it does have a really good blend of horror and comedy. Mm. But the third one, for me, was just marvellous. Because it was so funny. So iconic. Mm. Um, so creative. Um, so for me, that was that was my favorite. So I find it odd that they're rebooting as almost like a really hard horror film. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you've got other films that do. Th- you've got other series that do that. Have you seen Cabin in the Woods? No, no. You should check that out because that's. I think that's one of the few films I've seen that's try- sort of trying to go for that. Um, the last, what's it called? Army of Darkness. Yeah, Army of Darkness. Evil Dead Three. No, it doesn't doesn't hit the same notes but no but from what i've read it's that sort of it's self-aware and it's mm. having a bit of fun with the genre and um yeah so anyway that's I, i'm just I, if i never hear about zombies again i'll be happy honestly yeah. it's just so prevalent that's um, my pet peeve at the moment oh, i saw a, an amazing eurasian today um, <laughs> I was going to get some bangs and mash and there was this woman, I, I think she was a nurse or something because she was just, um, she looked like she was in, you know, those sort of, I don't know, like scrub clothes or something, those yep. sort of daggy clothes that they wear in hospitals. Was she wearing Birkenstocks or Crocs? I didn't, didn't really look because I was just blown away. She was just walking down the street by herself and she's just smiling like... You know, everyone else is in this heat wave, though. But she's like smiling. She didn't seem to be have a phone on her, so she wasn't talking to anyone. Else. It was just, just look. I've never seen someone look so happy in their lives, and I was just like almost crashed the car, just going, "Whoa!" You know. <laughs> uh, that's my Eurasian update. So Eurasian corner for the week. Yep. Um, James spotted one. Spotted one. That's hilarious. Um. I've mixed up my notes I've written half of them in here and, um, Do we have any fan mail? Or listener mail? No, I think No Oh, oh well I, I've got this weird one that This might, might have make, may been meant for betting the beast But I don't know Oh Well, we can offer relationship advice, surely Could we have beast and the beast? Yeah So this is Beast on beast is, action Um 
It says, Dear James, it was addressed directly to me. Um, there's a question that I have really wanted to get off my head. How would you know if a man, say a stranger, is straight or not by just looking at them or to a limited extent at their photographs? I've gathered that you... <laughs> what? <laughs> I've gathered that you are slash were homophobic. I'm not. Just that I'm merely curious. It's from a female. Okay, so there's a bit to unpack there. Okay, let's address the question first, which is, how do you know if someone's gay by looking at a picture of them? Yeah. You can't. No. No? I would say you can't. Because there's just very little context in photos. This is one of the things I hate about photos. Is Well, even if it's a photo of someone at a gay parade... Like a pride rally or something. Mm. It could just be someone who is either supportive. Supportive, yeah. Or or someone bisexual. a character. Um, You know, there's plenty of bisexual people. Or, yeah, uh, you can't. What? Is she looking at photos of Ryan Gosling or something? What's she doing? Is she looking at photos of you? Well, maybe... Because then she says it directly to me. I've gathered that you are, were, slash homophobic. Is this true? No, I don't think so. Hmm. I'm not big on the whole gay culture thing, but I don't... That's okay. You don't have to like all cultures. I'm not, uh, and I don't, as, um, but I'm not anti it. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. It's like I don't like zombie films. I don't... But you wouldn't I stop wouldn't anyone go to else having a zombie film. Because I just don't quite get it. Oh, okay. You know? I've gone to see lesbian mud wrestling. Didn't quite get the appeal of that. Appeal of that. Yeah. Um, it's like you know you're not racist if you don't like Liberian culture hmm. at the moment. Puerto <laughs> <laughs> Um And you don't. I, I think a lot of gay people aren't even involved in gay culture. You know that whole. So no. So no, you're not homophobic, and no, you can't tell. If someone's gay from a photo. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's a bit of a boring answer, but just no across the board. Yeah. I think I would say I'll be like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm homophobic. But. <laughs> what if you were? I you think ha- you'd really be into it. I don't it. hate any. You think you'd be really into homophobia if you were into it. This one girl <laughs> asked me out and then. But it didn't, didn't really work out. And the next time I heard about her she was dating a girl um but i didn't hold that against the gays no it <laughs> happens sometimes you know um do you think you were a turning point for yeah her? that's what i'm that's what i've just, just has disturbed me but um quite possibly but she was never really open about her feelings so yeah she didn't communicate and i See, it's all about communication, being open. Yeah. Willing to experience new things. Um, but thanks for writing in. Yeah. Um, I'll say you're anonymous, so I don't want to give out your name. And that may have been a question for Betting the Beast as well. That so. was just... That was from Fred, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, um, someone... Oh, I mean, we've got some tweets, but not really... No questions? No questions. Um, it's probably just lots of compliments and retweets and things cause, and favourites. We get shit time. Uh, one guy said, have been a long time fan of your alter egos fanning about. 
two priests versus two politicians. What? I think he's uh, joking. Maybe we should Google that. Let's check it out. I've never heard of fanning about. Fannying, as in fannying. Fanny. I've never. Is that really a thing? Oh, I think he's taking the Mickey. Um, someone asked, "Is fanging an Australian slang for wanking?" Yes, pretty much. I would say a hundred percent. I think in Australia, just about everything is slang for wanking. Yeah. Would you say so, James? You can pretty much, yeah, do that. Um, yeah, but thanks for tweeting in. You can tweet us at Fangin' Around. You can mail us at mailbag at fangin'around.com um, or just hit the listener mail page on fangin'around.com. Um, now, did you... Campbell, have you gone to see the cactus in Perth? You know what? I've driven past it. I haven't stood in presence of it. Mm. From photos and video, I, I, I like it. I approve. I liked it and I got to see it up close the other day and I was impressed because it looks like it's sort of floating in air. It doesn't... It looks like a the, um, you know, like Luke Skywalker's hover car. It sort of just sort of floats in air the way they've done it, which I think is quite cool. Um, but then I went and looked up who it is. It's by James Angus, mm. the artist. And he's done one almost exactly the same in Sydney, just with different colours. So it's not even original. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so we're just getting thumbs down. Like a cheap Sydney knockoff. Uh, is theirs even bigger? I bet theirs is like twice the size oh, as well. I think it is, yeah. It's brown though. Oh, it's cool that's green. not as good a colour. We got a better colour, but I bet theirs is bigger. Theirs is just like a big poop right now. At least we're like, oh, it's a cactus. Yeah, if ours had been brown, we don't even we have would have freaked out. No, but we're kind of a bit desertous. Desert-ish. Is. Mm. Deciduous. Would you ever think about living in the desert? I mean, would you ever consider living in the desert? Obviously, I've just asked you to think about it. Oh, I... Yeah. Yeah? Oh, not permanently, I don't think. I was no, no. Refrigerative air conditioning. What about... What about... Um, is it Kalgoorlie Boulder where they live underground? <laughs> is that Kalgoorlie? No. No, that's that? um Cool Coolgardi? No, not Coolgardi. Kilkenny? No. It's where the opals are from. Yeah, what what is Coolie it? Coolie What's it called? For those listeners that don't know, there's a mining town in this is it in the Cooper Pedy. Cooper Pedy. It's in South Australia, I think. There's a mining town in South Australia. Where not everyone, but there are a lot of homes that are carved underground. Yeah. I think they're all used old mine sites that were right. opal mines. And they converted them to... It's very fashionable there to live in, a, in an old mine. And they're very... They have an underground church. They're very cool. Because it gets to like a bazillion degrees. Whenever it gets to summer in Perth, I always think of um, the Chronicles of Riddick. Have you seen that? Where um, they escape from that prison planet and the sun's rising and there's, the whole sky just catches on fire and there's fireballs and it's an inferno. Sorry, what's this? The Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, right, yeah. You know the, the prison planet scene where they escape from oh, it? I don't it's think I've ever saw the film, but... You should see this film. It's okay. really amazing. Okay. Like, it's just so balls to the wall sort of... Apparently the game is really good as well. Yeah, yeah. What is Escape from Butcher Bay, I think. Mm. That's always on the list of, like, best video game adaptations. 
You know what trailer I saw? We just spoke about trailers briefly, mm. Evil Dead. Uh, the trailer for Pain and Gain. All right, yeah. <laughs> Looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> See, Michael Bay, <clears throat> he is, for me, he's so hit and miss. And for me, most of his films are just the biggest misses. But Bad Boys 2 is amazing. And this looks like... This looks like Bad Boys 2, but with, like, even better writing. I don't know what's going... I don't know. Just from that trailer, though. Yeah. Shades of Fight Club with him running towards the camera in slow motion going, you know, my name is whatever. I'm into fitness. And then, boom, he gets hit by the car. (laughs) I was like, whoa, you've got me. You've got me. Um, I think if you... That's the main thing holding Michael Bay up is not having good writers, you know. Because um, he's—I don't think he really writes himself. Um, so when he does have, you know, some good writing behind. Because who's responsible for the Transformers movies? You didn't like the Transformers movies? No, I didn't even see the third one. I disliked the second. I so love much. the Transformers movie. I think it's like it's probably the best trilogy they've ever had. What Transformers? Yeah. Yeah, probably. There's no low points in it. Are there any it's other Transformers steady, trilogies? It's just steady, you know. No. Yeah. I mean, so every I'd other say it's the best. Every other film trilogy. trilogy's got like you know dark. Oh, dark sorry. Rights. You mean you mean best film trilogy? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant the best Transformers trilogy. Um, like every other trilogy is like blah blah blah. This is just like flat tack. <laughs> yeah, right at the bottom, flat tack. This is like three, um, three. Uh, I don't know. I think people should get down on their knees and no. thank goodness for Michael Bay. Like, imagine if, like... No. Imagine if what? Like, I don't know, like J.J. Abrams did Transformers or something like that. It would, like... You know who I wish did Transformers? Who? If you're going to get a bad director. Yeah. McG. No. He did Charlie's Angels. Yeah, no. get McG into no, it. No, that's exactly... Have you seen Terminator Celebration? Yeah. Oh, was that good? It was all right. What, better than Transformers? Yeah. No. Yeah, it was better than Transformers, I tell you that. <laughs> you just have a no. against Transformers. No, I love transforming robots. Just not the Transformers movies. They should get McG to do Transformers. But not in his Terminator Salvation phase, but in his Charlie's Angels 2 phase. All right. The only thing good about Charlie's Angels 2 is the trailer. It's got oh, one of the greatest trailers of all time. That movie was amazing. Um, Cooper Pedy, um apparently has, has no trees so they have to make one out of metal wow scrap metal welded together scrap iron that just shows you how Mad Max Australia really is they live in a place with no trees so they made one out of scrap hmm. that's pretty incredible would you ever live in Cooper Pedy? Uh I don't like hot places so Mm, a bit of a problem then. So Perth's a bit of a dud place for you, really, isn't it? Well, it was when I was younger. Then I sort of fell in love with it again, the, the environment. But then we've had just two terrible summers in a row of just humidity. Like I like hot Perth. I hate humid Perth. I mean, I just hate humidity in general. But Perth's so nice when it's hot and you can walk around and the breeze just wafts over you and. But when it's not like that, and it's just like, you know, our floor is like wet right now. 
pretty nasty. I need to pimp myself out to uh, someone who's got refrigerative air conditioning. <laughs> Um, I've I've just gone completely nuts. Like I can't work. My brain just doesn't function. I can't sleep. I have like, um, what do you call them? Existential crises. Like the other day, I was just like, oh, it was just absolutely nuts. You need to you know you need to hang out at the uh, in the cultural center. Oh yeah, go to the library or something. Yeah, we yeah, got air conditioning I've been thinking about and that, free yeah. wireless. You could yeah. just do all your shit there. Yeah. No, I guess what I need to my the the, bat, the battery on this. I guess they have my power. Yeah. You just got to get there early because all the students hold the power. Now, Cam, I was wondering. Yeah. Uh, Wonder away. I think your lady friends, mm-hmm. at least at one point, was pretty into Bruce Springsteen. Yes, she is. Um, I was listening to this podcast about this guy whose wife is obsessed with Roger Federer, the tennis player, mm-hmm. like absolutely obsessed. Yeah. And at at the start, he sort of introduced it like sort of blowing it off. Oh, it's just oh, it's just something that's part of his life. But then the the health like just the host just sort of grouped into this idea and dug her teeth in and was like, wait, like how obsessed? And she's like, as in. She has to watch every game, no matter where he's playing in the world. So she could be up at like 2 a.m. in the morning and, you know, some yeah. tennis matches go for five sets for 10 hours and she can't sleep during that time. So it can actually affect her life. That's and, how obsessed she is. Yeah. And, and yeah. she's like, isn't it weird for your wife to be that obsessed about another man? Yeah, right. Do you ever feel this? Like, is no, Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, I wish I had an exciting answer like that. Hmm. But no, because Liz doesn't um, even own all his albums. All right, okay. So, she really likes Bruce Springsteen, hmm. but she's not that fanish about anyone. Yeah. Like, even the person she's most fanish about, she doesn't get into that fan mania. Yeah, yeah. You know, some some people are really, really big fans of people or things <laughs> yeah yeah whereas she probably out of everyone who's producing things that she has no contact with personally the person she likes the most is bruce springsteen mm. but even then it's like it's not full on mm. i don't know because and that's interesting because i do understand that fanish like having to consume everything mm. that someone's made so it's made me reconsider a lot of that as well, because then it does come off as weird if you're a bit like that. Well, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I'm big into sports and stuff like that, so I can kind of understand that. But I, being just a super fan of an individual player, mm. and and tennis, you know, an individual event. So you're just obsessed with. There's no team. There's just this man, you know. Yeah, I, and just I, being almost secondary, like to that in a marriage, would be just crazy in a way. Like, um, well, does she I think like, of like Flight of the Concords with what's her name? Oh, um, the oh, what's Chris her name? And Charles character, um, who's obsessed with them, but she's Mel, Mel, Mel. Yeah. She's amazing in mm. that show. She is beyond amazing. But yeah, a bit like Mel. Yeah, and you think, well, does she go to all of her husband's board meetings and watch them? Or, you know, like, does she cheer him on? At You know, like, mm. what's her involvement with him? How far does she, how much does she... I wonder, you know, like... It's a lot of misplaced affection mm. and attention. 
I think. Yeah. But you know how we were talking about one of the early shows, we were talking about having a list. like the, Oh, yeah, of, of three or the whatever. The cheat list. Or the, the, uh, the, 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 I don't know what it's called, but I, I know what you're talking the about. three, I think we called it. I don't know if Liz ever came up with one, but I mean, imagine, I wonder if they asked that guy if he would ever let yeah, Roger give Federer her a pass on Roger Federer. Because, or would he enact a veto power on Yeah, that? on that one. Because she knows that... Or would you want to set a three and like a boomerang and hope she comes back? I'd probably just ditch it. <laughs> <laughs> With or without the list. I'd be like, you, why don't you go hang out with Federer for a yeah. while? It's okay to be like, oh, that person's attractive or... I like the music that person plays, but you don't have to be that obsessive, do you? Yeah. I don't, I, I really don't like that kind of, I mean, here we are talking in the last Fang tracks, we were talking about Kubrick and I think I was more than kind of, uh, generous with my compliments of Kubrick mm. and, you know, and my, and my admiration for what he did. But I find that sort of, um, when people really idolize, other people Mm. other people's work I find that a bit strange it seems to be a lot it seems to always be from people that um, they they place that that sort of success and that sort of behaviour as an otherness Mm -hmm. that they couldn't possibly themselves ever hope to take part in or I mean I'm not saying everyone should be watching Roger Roger Federer and go oh yeah I could do that and mm. be inspired to go and do yeah, it. Yeah. But I think it's like, well, these people aren't aliens. They're just very, they've just very committed. Mm. And that is admirable in itself. But surely, wouldn't you then take that admiration and do something with it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think for you as a creative person and someone who does creative endeavors and writes things and mm. shoots things and directs things and so on and so forth, you know, you, 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 have taken that as an inspiration rather mm. than as a some you know, a gated sort of life and i think i've tried to do that myself where mm. it's like make these these people inspirations rather than um unachievable ends and i'm not saying i'll ever be as you know as successful as mm. you know neil gaiman or you know, or um jk rowling or Roald Dahl or richard scary or anything like that but it's like well i'm not going to let their greatness belittle my attempts at greatness mm. you know um does that make any sense to you sort of? yeah yeah i guess so <laughs> I, I mean it is a, a a a funny thing like amongst the the fang around uh crew like um like fred harry james and campbell um you know everyone has sort of um you know similar tastes in music and obviously not everyone in the group likes cinema but um and stuff like that but the one outlier that i find (laughs) is i'm the only one who's like interested in sports at all uh, I yeah, like, I'm a big fan of like the West Coast Eagles and the Socceroos, and you're on your own with us. Glory, yeah. And do you guys like? It's it's so weird for me that you guys aren't fans of something that's like 
you know, a regular thing, like like a sport. Yeah. I don't know what any other equivalent would be other than a sport. Because it's like, oh, I'm a fan of a movie, but a movie comes out and you see it and that's it, you know? Yeah. But I think, I think um, you know, I think with trilogies and things or movie series, yeah. you can get like that. Not the same. I'm not saying it's the same, but because, you know, when, when there's a series, when you know mm. there's going to be four films or you know there's going to... Like when Lord of the Rings came out, it was like, I saw the first mm. one a few times and I was like, this is wicked. I can't wait for the next one and the next one. Whoa. You know, so that's annual. It's a bit different. And now the Hobbits, it's like it's going to be that same sort of thing. But yeah, I just uh, sport just holds really no appeal. And the few times I've watched sport, very few times, I have been able to get into it and enjoy it. And but it's, I'm not interested in the upkeep of following. <laughs> you know, like it does. Yeah. It doesn't interest me enough to to you know commit to watching X games or following a season. And, um, and I know I'm but, quite uh, an when anomaly. you watch it, you're, if it does capture attention, it's the athleticism or maybe the, the, the stagecraft, if it's, you know, some, I can, sort of- I can appreciate things of it. And then it does sometimes capture me on a sort of, um, pop culture thing like oh, the as a Ben Cousins coming like this oh not so much that character <laughs> in the media <laughs> but more of a like watching a game I can get wrapped up in it on a um, and I don't mean this in a belittling way but I just don't know how to explain it any other way but on a sort of primal level mm-hmm. like I feel sort of an adrenal rush of mm. you know if I pick it side I'm like oh, I'll just go for this side Whoa! And I can feel those things, and not on the same degree that you would watching things. But um, I get it on that. But I don't know beyond that. Never... But it's you know. I, I... But my dad's into sport. Mm. My dad's really into sailing, so he always he watches sailing. He's really into rugby. Yeah, he's really into tennis. So he watches all those things, but mm. never didn't really rub off on me. And it's... I used to play field hockey. Yeah, but that's the funny, funny thing I was about to say is that like I play hockey, have played pretty much my whole life, but I just don't have the slightest interest in watching it. I watch, Really? That's really funny. I watch AFL and I would never play AFL, but I think it's like the best, one of the best spectator sports. Okay. Um, and there's probably other examples of sports that I watch. And I AFL's weird because I'm so locked to the Eagles, I can't really enjoy it. As a, um, I don't enjoy it at all. <laughs> um, like I, I find it really hard because it's it's only enjoyable like the once every ten years that the Eagles won the right the grand final. It seems know? like it's this real stragulation thing yeah. for people. It stresses me out. My yeah. whole mood is defined like it's like a a women's period, but it's every week. <laughs> You know, yeah. for the winter season, yeah. Yeah, and people get like that. And I see it at work and I'm just like, fucking chill out, And man. I see that. I see that how it's irrational because it's, it's so meaningless, like, because they're just going to have a new season the next year, you know? I mean, obviously, with the World Cup, it's more of a big deal because they're sort of historic events, but... But people um, love... And, and But it becomes more than just, oh, I like... You know, it like you're saying, like you're expressing, it's not so much, oh, I like to watch a bit of football or I like mm. to watch a game. It's like... No, my team is this team, yeah, yeah. Regardless of anything, and I've just got to wear that for the rest of my life, yeah. And um, but that's I enjoy a lot. being part of something, you know. Like, like it's like, oh, we lost on the weekend, even though I didn't play. Yeah, 
but you're part of like a whole thing like that the last time Eagles won the grand final 2006 like walking through Perth like the city just had this weird but just this buzz that's so unique you know um, and I think you know they tried to capture that with um, uh, what was that fever pitch with um, um, the best thing to see what it's like is to watch fever pitch which is based on the book by Nick Oh, I can't remember. But the guy who wrote High Fidelity. Nick Hornby? Nick Hornby, yeah. I had Colin Farrell in it. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a weird thing to get attached, but it's like, you know... Because, um, I mean, like cricket, I don't... I, I watch that just for the spectacle because I don't... I. It's just so boring when Australia wins that I I quite often go for the other team, you know, even though they're not my team. Um, in other sports, I'll all, I'm always going for the underdog. I, will, I want that mm. upset rather than you know. Yeah, look, sport. I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. It's not for me. And you even you're even into like really into Formula One as well. Yeah. So yeah. what do you follow? You're into like Formula One. You, you, well, I guess my team is McLaren, but I'm not that passionate. I just like a good race, and I love seeing where. Okay, but that means you're. I mean, you're into Formula One. Yeah, and I like the tactics of Formula One. I don't because care lots who's of the people watch. Driver. Lots of people watch and follow AFL. Yeah, even if they're not that into it, like yeah. it's culturally the, a thing. The to national do. sport. Yeah, uh, at least for some states. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, so I think you actually really have to be interested in Formula One to watch it or follow it at all. Yeah, well, it gets boring sometimes. But when sometimes, I mean, that's a funny thing about Hawkeye um, Formula One is because it's it's all about the rules and it's about the team that implements the rules in the best way, and it's all sort of tactics. Like all the drives are pretty much as good as each other you know like they get the worst driver on the team in the fastest car and the chances are he he's going to be in top three you know right they should someone should sponsor a race just get around the track you got to do 20 laps or whatever no rules yeah oh like yeah. whatever yeah whatever goes yeah you know or, or say you know it's got to have four wheels yeah yeah go yeah. any any size four wheels we don't care just do it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But then the problem with that is usually just the richest team wins. I mean, that's the other thing about the America's Cup. I don't know if your dad's following that, but that's so interesting to me. Like, I don't have, I couldn't be bothered watching the actual race, but following the teams building these yachts and finding all these loopholes in the, the rules and using crazy technology to make you know where money is these teams are sponsored by like billion dollar companies so there's money is not an option you know it's like building a supersonic aircraft um that really sort of interests me like that problem solving mm. and um and it's a bit weird to call um formula one a sport as well like it's more of an event <laughs> you see how it turns out I mean, the, the the drives are insanely, like, fit people, like, to just survive. Are they really tiny? Like, jockeys? No, no, they're not. Oh. But I think they do build the cars around them. Mm. I had an image. I was thinking about Formula One just recently, mm. and I thought... Because the cars... 
I was I think I was looking at a picture of them. Oh no, I had to draw one recently. Mm. So it wasn't that recently. Sorry. It must have been months and months and months ago, probably six months ago. But I had to draw a Formula One car, so I was looking at them and then it was only then that I really realized how tiny like how narrow they are mm. and how tiny they are. Mm. You know, you see a picture of any car and you kind of well, generalize. Before the whole safety overhaul, they were tiny they were like go karts, you know? And yeah, now right. they have to be a certain size so that when you crash, it absorbs, can absorb the shock and keep yeah. the drivers alive. But before then, when they didn't give a stuff where you lived with life, it was just how fast you went. Yeah. There were tiny little cars with just this mega engine. You know, the, the, the speed records on the tracks will never be broken again because they will set in this era where you can just go as fast as, you know, that was the, oh, really? the thing wow. was going as fast, but not as safe as possible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But then it got me thinking, well, are the, are the racers, the drivers, are they like jockeys in that they, you know, the, you know, the lighter you are, the, the better for the vehicle and stuff. Uh, you know? Possibly. I think they all get, um, probably get equalized all- out. Like, I think you have to, they, know, oh. they weigh them at the end of the race. So, to make sure people aren't doing dodgy stuff like. Oh. Yeah. So, I think if you... If you have a heavier driver, you can put more fuel. Uh, heavier driver, you can put less fuel in or something like that. I don't know how it works exactly. But oh, okay. I mean, obviously, you can't, everything's you can't do that weighed. with a horse, yeah. obviously. Um, cool. So, what's new with projects for you, James? What are you up to? We haven't done any project updates. Working on anything at the moment? Um, no. No. Just need to find a way to get some money. That's it. How much money do you need? Did you, ta- you didn't take advantage of that Screen West 3 to 1 possible thing? No. I wanted to see how that... Well, I didn't have a producer who was interested in producing. And I wanted to see how it went down. And it went down just as badly as I thought. What do you mean? Like, it was... It was... From what I could tell, it was pretty clearly rigged. Um, because it... The money run out ran out in eight hours because I guess a bunch of people and this is this is something that's common on Kickstarter, right? If you're going for a hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter and it's on the 29th day and you've got ninety thousand dollars there, yeah, you, you go to the bank, in. get a ten thousand dollar credit limit extension in your card, and yeah, you, you, put put it, you put it on, so you don't miss the rest of right. the cash that you've had funded. Yeah. So people were doing that on the very first day, boom, because the, there's only two hundred thousand no, dollars. There's no rules about it. There's only one hundred fifty thousand dollars they're giving out, so they know that all these projects are competing for that money. So it's just whoever, and supposedly they're going to go back and check all the donors, but I don't know how they're going to follow the money on that. I'll be interested to see how trail. that goes back. Because it, it was just like that, it's gone. Yeah. So the people who had, it was like the people who probably had the funding, either they did that, like they loaded up their credit cards to get this money, or they had people, they were all the projects were by people who had the money funded anyway, and they just used their money that they'd already been funded to, to pay the amount they went in, you know? Yeah. It was just so dodgy. So within eight hours, it was all gone, was it? Yeah. And yeah. they're all, the, uh, there's like one, I think one of the three projects that funded would looks interesting. Like people actually contributed money because it looked good. The other ones look so bad. It's like I only saw some, some guy's mum picked up a camera and got uh, three hundred thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, 
I only saw one that was like the Edison, Thomas Edison claymation thing. I don't know if you saw that. Maybe, maybe. I think that that's a claymation. Possibly, possibly is the one who, the girl who animated the Sons of Rico video clips. I think she was doing that. Oh, okay, probably. Also, um, some people will ask for way too much money. Like this one group that I follow on Facebook got theirs because even though other people were showing out the money but they only asked for like six thousand dollars which is what i would have done but i you know i don't where am i get six thousand dollars like we can't even get <laughs> that many people listening to the podcast like, yeah i watch uh liz and i were talking about uh kickstarters and possibles and things mm. and how these campaigns work and but that's another thing isn't right why fanging around is kind of important to me is that like if we can build up like you know a twitter following on here later on they our listeners can help us out later on and you know to boost that up yeah because they're getting something every week rather than i'm writing something now you know i'm working on some writing stuff that i set i gave i gave myself like a you know a two-year period and i'm only one year into it so i'm not gonna nothing's gonna i'm not gonna be out there trying to sell anything for another year so I've got to fang around as my sort of product for the next. We've done it for a year now, and I've got to do it for another year. That so people still know I'm alive on the internet because that's how people follow you and do your stuff. And the same for yeah. you. Yeah, like I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm buried in working on a project at the moment, which is really long and big, and um, and I've kind of mm. tossed and turned about how much to make it public and what to do with it. You know, mm. because I love watching other people's blogs and production blogs on how their project's developing and things, but I just haven't felt like I've wanted to do that. So I release like little screenshots, but I haven't really talked about it all that much, which is something I'm sort of like, well, maybe I should just be openly producing this thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like really, really lay it all out because I love it when other people do it. But then I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that myself. Like, I don't feel like it's that interesting to be Mm -hmm. doing it or, or maybe I should be a little more secretive or, and just be like, boom, here's this thing, you know, but then that doesn't work because, Mm. so it's almost like I'm, doing exactly what I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> Does that make any sense yeah, to you? Yeah, but I think you got to... Or do you just have to be true to what you feel? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... Because I think Kickstarter is going to... For the next five years, it's going to be the future, at least. It's going to be the future of independent, um, you know, anything. Mm. So, and the only reason you get successful is based on your following. So, you just got to be have always be producing content so people find out who you are and follow you know like mm. yeah and the thing with like um i mean the thing with kickstarter it's fantastic and i you know and i'm i kind of toss and turn about what to do with this project which is like you know in in form i want it to be a publication mm. like a physical product and kickstarter is amazing and inspiring but it's you know it's it works for comics as a pre-order system mm. You know, and for a lot of Kickstarter oh, yeah. and Possibles, it's a pre-order system essentially. Mm. And so, you know, you see these Kickstarter projects that are funded to the tune of you know hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand, etc., etc., and up. And I think Ryan North recently had that um, to be or not to be that Shakespearean choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? And I think that was funded oh, right, to the yeah. tune of like mm-hmm. over half a million dollars. I've been know? following this Peter Pan novel, uh, graphic novel. Oh, okay. I haven't seen I think that. I actually follow us on Twitter. Shout oh, out to cool. 
those I'm going to have to check that out. You have to shoot it my way. I'm sure. I think it's like it's like Neil Gaiman's wife or someone, someone's famous wife doing it. Oh, Neil Gaiman's wife. Right. Because she got... She, her Wait, she's the magician. She's the magician? No, she's a musician. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, it's not. It's someone like that. Like someone right. who's already sort of established. So... Well, that's the thing. And like Ryan North, like he's amazing and fantastic, but you know, he's connected through, you know, right up his pants in the best possible way. So of course his thing, you know, he's got huge following already. So if you've got this huge following, Hmm. then these people already want this thing from you. But if it's a new thing, well, people don't know that they, if they want it or not, you know, it's not going to work necessarily. And it's so tragic looking at Kickstarters that have failed, you know, or possibles mm-hmm. that have failed. And so much of it's to do with not having the social network to draw upon, you know. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, with, with internet media, you know, we're, we're more able to do this than ever before. But yet still it is difficult for some of us, you know. Um, do you know Rob Bryden? No. Um, did you ever see that... Um you might have seen on YouTube there was him and Steve Coogan doing impressions of um, Kane, the guy Butler from Dark Knight, Michael Kane. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no. Do you ever no. see that YouTube clip? No. Uh, well, those guys are comedians. They do stuff together. Him and Rob Brian a lot, and he did this. Um, I mean, this is one thing I'm thinking about: like extra content to put out. You know. Um, that I can afford to do without asking for money. Um, he, well, first of all, there's a podcast by the guy who plays Crichton on Red Dwarf, um, the robot on Red Dwarf. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He's the host of Scrapyard Challenge. Oh, the cat's brought us something to eat. Oh no. Um, but he does that one, that great podcast where he gives people lifts, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, in the car. Yeah. Oh, no, that's another cat. Do we need to get rid of it? Possibly. Um, and uh, anyway, Rob Ryden, ages ago, did this, this like, almost like a... It was like a one-person show where it's just him driving on his commute and he's telling a story to, like, the camera that's in the car, basically. Mm. Or, like, it's like he's talking to himself, but the audience in your head, you know? Yeah. They're talking out loud. Uh, about his relationship with his wife and it's really quite funny and it, it came out ages ago. I don't even know where you can find it. Oh, find with it Steve anyway. Coogan? Um, yeah, but... Yeah, I remember Gavin watching it on SBS, right? And he's and he's divorced from his wife? Yeah. Yeah, and it was like super depressing. Yeah. I remember that yeah. show. It was haunting. Um, Sorry, I thought you were talking about the guy from... Marion and Jeff was the show. It was amazing. And um, Keith is a taxi driver who records a monologue on his video camera, which... Oh, possibly. Is it out on DVD now since I last looked? I have to buy it. Um, Keith is a taxi driver who records a monologue on his video camera, which relates the story of his failed marriage after his wife, Marion, left him for work college with Jeff. But basically, it's just him. But maybe perhaps in the last episode... I think he goes into the house or something with the camera. Oh, yeah. Steve Coogan's probably there. Well, he's... But I think he uses that character, Keith Barrett, in other stuff. So, maybe this was just one like, little spin-off project he did mm. for this character. Anyway, I want to do something like that where it's just a... Like a car ride. Like a, the basic idea is just to commute and people 
sort of tell their story on the way to work, on the way to work. And just might be like, you know, two scenes each, each episode. Yeah. And it'll be go for like less than five minutes, you know, per episode. That's, you know, like I'll literally get one of those cameras, you can just mount the car with Fisher lands and that's kind of it. Would you, is it scripted or is it real? Are you getting real people's commutes? <laughs> no. That'd be kind uh, of funny. You know, it would be um, like, it'd be like you would, the characters learned the story. Like I write them a story to tell and they have to retell oh, okay. it in their own words. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because the hardest thing to do is get access, non-professional actors to get them to learn lines. Yeah. And what I've found in the past, sometimes if you just... Give them a story. A story and then just tell them to tell it in your own words. You know, obviously you can't just say, oh, I went to the toilet and did a poop that at the end. Yeah. You have to tell it. Oh, I don't know. Some directors Hit certain do that. story beats along the way. And that's, that's the whole project. And um, there's this one guy who wants to be in it. But then he's also like his life partner is trying to make it big in the US. And so he's sort of torn between being there with her, but there's these issues. And I'm just like, it's just so hard to find, you know, I have to do it as a podcast. Like you've got to turn up and we shoot it every Tuesday night or whatever each week. And it's, you're not getting paid. It's just exposure. But it's, it's so hard to convince people like, in Perth to do that kind of thing because either they want to get paid because they want to do it professionally or they don't want to be reliable. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah. there's people out there. I just don't know how to find them. I don't have the social skills to go out and find these people. Have you thought of asking Bonnie? <laughs> not necessarily to be an actor, but for... Isn't she like always busy? No, not, not to be an actor, but for recommendations because oh, right. she knows yeah. like everyone. Yeah, yeah. And she'd be happy to help. She would. You should hit her up. Um, hit her up on well, Facebook. Well, I was hoping just get some young. She knows everyone, so she'll yeah. be able to help you out. So that's that's one thing I'm considering doing. Cool. But, uh, what about you? I'm just working on home time still. Still so. thinking about a possible. No, Liz is thinking about doing a possible campaign for a project mm. she wants to do this year. Um, uh, so we're looking at how they all work and stuff and how to get it functioning and, um, and yeah, so that's that. And then with my one, um, my graphic novel, I'm finishing the second chapter probably next week. And, um, then I'll start working on the third chapter. And once the third chapter is complete, like fully illustrated, then I'll start sending it off to publishers and get people you know, I'll just send it off to everyone and see if anyone bites. Because mm. it's just the sort of thing like I just I just want a yes. You know what I mean from someone? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just like just say yes. I don't mm. even care if the advance is shit. Just say yes, so mm. I know I've got a goal to work towards and a deadline, mm. and I can take time off work. I can bust a gut and get it done. But it's sort of that. Yeah. You can't risk taking the time off work. And losing all that money when you might not get a yes. Yeah. Or, you know, like, you know, it would just be a really, really big boost, a confidence boost. And to know that there was, it was, something was going to happen to it. Mm. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I would like to do it through a traditional publishing method, method because I don't have a big following. You know, yeah. like I can't go, here's a Kickstarter. Oh, shit. Now I've got 200,000. <laughs> I can do it and yeah. get a wage. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, I don't think so. 
Now the way you do it, viral videos count. <laughs> like of a cat pooping on a piano and then playing the piano with its poop. You've already got, you've already got it down. I know how these things work, man. I'm all about viral videos. What What do you think was worse? You know, like a lot of TV ads and and ads and things. Um, you know, now you well were using swiping. You know, like like how an iPhone works or. A, the tablet device you know swiping things on the tv have you noticed that you don't watch a lot of tv no i don't lots of ads you know swiping through things like a big they hand comes actually, up oh, right. yeah they like a huge hand, hand oh, comes okay. up as yep. though or things are swiped as though you're looking at an ipod but now everything's all about like viral videos like all these ads are like oh yeah viral video yeah and it's like what the fuck well i don't think it's a new thing it's, that's been around with ads though yeah. Yeah? Oh, I've yeah. just noticed a, a whole bunch of more ones. Maybe they thought that that trend had died down enough that they could revive it. Hmm. Talking about reviving things, I listened to this um, uh, uh, segment on Radio National where they were talking about um, nostalgia for VHS, where people have this um, nostalgia for, well, VHS. Hmm. In the same way that some people have a nostalgia for vinyl records mm. and they love the warmth of it, you know? Mm. And people are like, yeah, I love, like, how analog it is mm. and how the tapes degrade over time and, yeah. you know, how you physically, you know, you have to hit rewind and it actually rewinds the object. And well, I was like, that's just crazy. VHS was shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I understand VHS changed everything, mm. you know, blah, blah, blah. But really, as a thing, it's a crap thing. Mm. Like, I can kind of understand with vinyl records, you know, that, well, these are analog sounds where there's an analog object. You're creating these sounds. You know, there's sort of, there's a magic to that. But with film to video, VHS, there's so many weird transitions that occur in between. Mm. That it's in no way... Well, I guess a vinyl in no way represents Bob Dylan singing in a studio. So, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Any comments on VHS? Well, I, I mean, I agree the same thing. Like, people so keen on CDs, but CDs are crap sound quality. Like, right. if you're going to be get that nerdy about CDs, CDs are terrible, awful right. sound quality, you know? Um, they're like 44 kilohertz. Most music's recorded at 192 kilohertz. Right. Um, they're only 16-bit. Most music record at 32-bit. It's just terrible. If you're going to be that picky, it's going to be a cat fight. Where's the other cat? It's probably teasing her through the window. Oh, really? She knows there's another cat, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, cats on the internet. This will be our biggest episode ever. Um, what was I talking about? Uh, CDs are awful. Oh, awful sound quality. But yeah, I was. I have what I have. I've downloaded an episode, but I haven't watched it yet. This comedian, I think it's called Dave Attell or someone. He has this show called Dave's Old Porn on Showtime, and um, it's like Fang tracks, but he's doing it over porn, and he gets some of the original porn stars and like some oh, wow. of his comedian friends, and they talk over these old porn films, and he talks about the the he likes the feeling of getting the VH tape in and, and putting it in and it, like being more of an experience than just open up red tube and just go, you know, in five seconds, you know? <laughs> um, so he, I, I found that interesting. Like 
as a nostalgia in terms of porn, but he's not talking about the quality because he doesn't care about the quality. It's just the the the, the process of doing it. Like the well, it's a part of all of it, right? It's yeah. it's the everything. But I mean, if you if you grow up, there's that that comfort feeling of the, oh, the, I you know I remember being young and twenty and getting my first porn tape, putting in and going, oh my god, right. So, uh, just in terms of quality, you're talking about CD quality. And one thing that's recently come up um, in terms of, you know, another step in quality was... And we're going back to this notion of The Hobbit mm. and it being filmed at 48 frames per second. Yeah. And Peter Jackson going, well, like, why is 24? What does that even mean? Mm. Like, if, if 48... Like... If you're saying 24 is better than 48, then is 22 better mm. than 24? Is 10 better than 24? Yeah, yeah. Like, why is 24 a magic number? And he's like, we should just be like as many as we can. I, w- I wonder if, if they had made like 30 frames per second or above the standard back then, would what we- would we feel when we saw a 24 frame? If someone was like, oh, I'm going to do it in 24 frames now. Yeah, I don't would know. Would we go, that feels better? Or would we go, that feels weird? I think you'd think 24 was weird. Um, the weird thing about... I mean, that, we, we live in a completely different world in Australia. And this is what you notice on, on Side by Side at Doco, is that PAL, video in Australia, mm. PAL and Europe, is 25 frames per second, which is only one frame difference. Mm. Right. So, even when you shoot on crappy video in, in Europe, it looks way more cinematic than when they shoot video in the US. You know, they do that 30 frames per second. It looks so weird. But then they go... They've lived their lives, their whole lives, where they go to the cinema, see it in 24, come back, see it in home, watch it in 30. They have that disparity. So, they're always going to notice, rather than us, we've grown up the privilege of watching ABC TV and whatever these ABC dramas and BBC dramas that are filmed at 25 frames per second. And they still look pretty good because they're really close to the film angle. And they showed how the Dogma 95 films or whatever, they were fi- that came out of Europe. And so, they were filmed in 25. So, when all the American films were like, oh, we can shoot DV as well, but they're shooting at the, the uh, NTSC 30 frames per second. And their f- digital films look awful compared to... Right. Um, to me, to my eyes. Yeah. Because the 48 frames with The Hobbit... Um, the first couple of scenes looked really weird. Mm. They look like it's sped up. But I thought, I hope that the fact that they just doubled it, you wouldn't notice it as much as compared to going from just going twenty four to thirty. Right. Seems so weird to me. It's 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 weird, and it's only it, it's weird. I found it most weird because the the opening sort of shot is um is Bill Baggins in his house, and he's just doing sort of normal things. Mm-hmm. Like picking things up and writing a letter, but it looks super sped up because he's doing really normal things. But when they're off doing adventurous things, yeah, it looks yeah, yeah, yeah. it looks normal when they're doing less normal things. Mm-hmm. You don't notice it as much. But but I mean, it's di- uh, and then I went home and I watched like the day or two after I watched The Dark Knight Rises, which is shot in twenty four frames mm. a second, and it looked kind of weird. Admittedly, I wasn't watching it in the mm. cinema. I wasn't watching it on Blu-ray. I was watching a DVD. So, mm. it wasn't the best quality. But it did look kind of smudgy or something. Mm. Like, it was kind of like, oh, after that hyper clarity. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's completely different. You know, huge Well, I don't know how you saw the projection. Like, you might have been watching in 4K, which is a lot higher than I assume you're watching on DVD. Yeah. But then the other thing, what is this? Like, The Hobbit was filmed at 5K. 
Yeah. Which is just like I'm looking at this this graph here of Yeah, I mean it's filmed that I don't know what your projectors projecting at when you go see it, so I mean just yeah, looking at the in terms of like the resolution. Yeah. I mean that's just, that's it. The ultimate aim is that you're eventually gonna be looking at it basically a window or a mirror and it's perfect resolution like to your eye. Yeah. That's the, the eventual aim, and that's what he's heading towards, but it's going to be yeah. bumpy roads until then. Yeah. And I don't mind the the that weird frame rate when you're filming it like a documentary, like you're, you know, we're used to a documentary filming it because it's being documented and it's trying to capture real life. When you're specifically going out to make a film, you know, that's where it breaks down, trying to film, Film in in a film language, mm. but using trying to make it more real. Yeah. Well, real life when you when people actually document real events, it doesn't look like that at all. You know, because yeah. they don't have time to set up a weird shot with a fancy angle. Like that was what I had the problem with Public Enemies. Like I, I think you've only seen the trailer. And you oh that. yeah, that looked uh, horrific. And that the the movie itself, great movie, love the story, but the, the constantly getting taken out by the fact that they're film trying to film it hyper real, hyper real lighting, but using the same film language with the shots lined up and stuff like that, and it just looks like a homemade, looks like an amateur film. Like, oh, I want to do cool shots like Steven Spielberg in my backyard. You know, that's what it ends yeah. up looking like. Yeah, and I think the Hobbit, it, it it's jarring. You know, like when they're in. Uh, hmm. the the underground goblin kingdom, these vast mines, and there's this huge goblin ogre lord king, and he's, you know, he's, it's wonderful. You don't notice. You're just going, wow. Yeah. Um. But it's when the characters are just like walking down a corridor or something. That's when it looks weird. Yeah. When it's at its most normal or believable, that's when you're most aware of it. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's like, well, why stop at forty eight? Why, why not go... Well, video games are usually at 60 frames per second. Yeah. Well, what's with that? Why do we go that, you know... Like- I don't think... I think they do 60 frames per second because that's the limit of the human eye. In like That's the, cons- the theoretical yeah. limit. So, in theory, when we get cinema that looks like you're just looking out a window, it's going to be at a minimum of 60 frames per second. So, why didn't he go for 60? Or, you know, whatever, 24... What do you go? You go 48, well, because- you go... I think he He's doesn't want like to look 96. like he doesn't want he just wants to make it less like video because NTSC is sixty frames per second basically. We can I mean, go it's for actually, technically sixty um even higher. What would it look like? I wonder if he did any tests at like like even high can you could it film at even higher speeds? Um I think they do because slow motion obviously you're doing a lot higher speed. And that's the other thing that you know like I don't know if you see some films where... And I remember Mad Max, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was Mad Max 2 I watched recently. And, um, you know, a lot of the car chases in that, they've sped it up. Mm-hmm. And it's noticeable. Yeah, yeah. But if you're if you're filming something at 24 frames a second and then you speed that up, that footage up, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, you've captured more frames per second than for the action. Is that right? don't know what you're trying to achieve what do you i don't know what i'm saying here i mean slow motion you, you'd film it normally you would film at 48 frames per second and then play it back at 24 to get a half speed is that yeah 
but with this you're filming 24 frames a second so say you're filming 24 frames a second of four seconds worth of footage Mm -hmm. and then you're speeding it up so it's only two seconds worth of footage i mean it's not like you're then showing well because they're playing back at 24 frames per second you actually have to cut the frames out so that you're only showing 12 of the originally shot frames Uh, because you're Unless uh, until they bring out projectors that can change the frame, rate, frame rates, you know, all the time. I don't know whether that will happen in the future or not. But you know what the future is? is it? No. I mean, this is the whole point of the side by side is that that they're whinging about film going out, but it, in the scheme of things, you know, it was only around for a hundred years. In four hundred years, it's going to be like a blip in the eye. You know, yeah. I don't think that many people will be watching films. That were filmed. Yeah, when you can just put... Uh, have you seen the Oculus Rift? You put it on a helmet and you've got two screens, you're seeing 3D and you're just in the world. But, I mean, I think I think that, you know, like with any sort of technology that people have mm. grown up with, um, they, they view it almost as less of a technology and more of an organic, natural thing. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, you know, like a director who's growing up with celluloid, growing up... Celluloid? Celluloid. Celluloid, celluloid yeah, yeah not celluloid celluloid and has grown up with that being the normative way of making a film the chemical process the you know the light going through hitting these little um, bits of plastic that then have to go through this liquid process in a du- mm-hmm. you know like that is insane that's an insanely complex oh, yeah. <laughs> technical it's a really high tech, bizarre, convoluted mm. way of getting that job done. And basically, the Hollywood industry was built on the fact of doing that efficiently. You know, it yeah. had to create a whole industry. It's like going to a, a factory and you're doing it process, process, yeah. step by step. Yeah. And, but it's artificial. It's just as artificial as, um, it's just as artificial a way of making an image as using this red eye mm-hmm. camera or whatever. It, it, it's no different. It's just the technology of the time. Mm. And, um, you know, I just I just find it weird when people hold on to things as though, or uphold things as though they're s- somehow better because they're mm-hmm. older or there's more yeah, tradition. Yeah. Especially when it's just something as recent, like you said, as film, mm. which has been around 100 years. Like, come mm. on. The other interesting, the interesting conclusion for, I'll spoil for you for, from oh, side by side Go for it. is that... Um, at the moment, the best way to archive your film is still to print it onto film. Oh, really? It's the most stable, right? Yeah, because, I mean, you've had hard drive failures and oh, lost yeah. stuff, yeah. you know. I had just a big one. We lost the lost episode fan around. It's even though I had two backups, I lost both of them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, it just happens, yeah. And um, and the more data we're generating, they're getting bigger and bigger. They're shooting 5K for, for, for a whole at 48 frames per second. That's a lot of data. Then they've well, got ha- two cameras for 3D, so it's double that, plus all the sound, high-quality sound they're recording, and then all the special effects data of all the compositing. Well, and I'm sure you can you can shoot, and because you're shooting digital, mm-hmm. you can just shoot a shitload more. So they're probably just going, yeah, you shoot it, shoot it, And shoot, shoot. I think uh, I'll try and remember to put it in the show notes. I haven't read it yet, but I, I'm pretty sure there's a really interesting article on the internet I've heard people talking about that I've been meaning to read about converting Monsters, Inc. into 3D. And I think they sort of cover all the conversions Pixar's done of how they've had to deal with going back and looking at... The, <laughs> trying to recover that data that they generated on computers back then, you know, because 
the hard drives weren't big enough to store the information of Toy Story back in 1995. So they like they had to store data on tapes and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of places still have to store stuff on tape because it's just so much, you know. Yeah, what was... Uh, I'm sure I remember hearing something about that with... Mm. The fuck was it? Was it with mm. Pixar where they were going back through, yeah, some mm. old files and they couldn't read some of them yeah. or something because, uh, you know, like they just weren't compatible with the software or, or the hardware that they had now. Like, yeah. yeah. And they mm. were like having trouble accessing some stuff and it was like, oh my God, things are changing mm. so quickly. Yeah. It's like my dad, he backs everything up on tape offside yeah. as well. You know, like he's got multiple, he's got a whole backup system. Yeah. But because of his buildings that he does, and he has to be accountable for them for, I don't know how long, for like the life of the yeah. building. Yeah. Um, if something happens, he needs to be able to prove that he designed the building to these specifications. So, he's got all these tapes off site that contain the data because it's the best way to store it. You mm. know? It's funny, yeah. Um, and it, I mean, if, and then that's just interesting just to, because, you know, in theory, with these 3D animated films, you should be able to just press a button and the computer will just re-render based on where the eye is, mm. you know, if you've got the software done to do that. Obviously, they have to develop software that allows you to just press the button to do it, which is probably pretty hard. But then you have to deal with the whole archival process. And I'm sure the most recent films, it's really easy. They've probably got it stored on a server just on a, an yeah. API file. <laughs> but um, but it's a it, much even bigger concern in, like, video games. Um um, because they're an art form, but they don't make the console players anymore. And some people say that the uh, the emulators are technically illegal. And there's people who are making emulators that are, you know, oh. theoretically they're great. Emulators are going to be great for preserving these art forms. Oh, so you can yeah. go back and play those old games on any device you have, but they're technically illegal. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was I was really struck by that when I was in Melbourne and I went to the Game Masters mm-hmm. exhibition, which is a history of video games. And it was an incredible exhibition. But it just made you really aware of um, how generational these, the, the life of these games is. And mm-hmm. not just generation in terms of biological generations of humans, but mm-hmm. generational in terms of like three-year game cycles or four-year yeah. game cycles. Like, you know, once that game... Once that game cycles up, no one plays that game anymore. Yeah. Or you know, like it's it's uh, it's accessible to such a small amount of people, and um, you know, it's just it's just mind-boggling. Or games that are no longer published, and it's like, well, that's it. You can get, you know, you might be able to access it a, a ROM off the Pirate Bay or something if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, getting some old games to work, and and it's just fascinating. You think, God, this is a huge. This is like the birth of an industry. And we're sort of at risk of losing 99% mm. of it, you know, before the century's out of, of its life. And um, um, it's really interesting. And then looking at, um, you know, because obviously the birth of video games was in the arcades, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a lot of people taking care of the old cabinets, but a lot of them are gone, you know, mm. and they have unique control mechanisms yeah, that are built yeah. into the cabinet that you can't replicate on a, yeah. any sort of controller. You just can't. And so, it's really wonderful going to that exhibition and being able to play games like Centipede on the original controller and mm-hmm. going cabinet to cabinet. Each fucking cabinet had a different place, like yeah. a different way of interacting. You know, some of them had a trackball and some of them had um, dials and knobs and levers and 
each time it's like there's something completely new it blew me away and um i spent most of the exhibition and went through the whole thing and had a crack at most games and had a good nose around but the, it was really the early arcade stuff that um amazed me uh with the inventiveness and mm-hmm. that there you know there are no rules yeah and it had these amazing descriptions of you know well these guys decided to use two you know memory cards in sync and they used one for this and they used one for that or whatever and or just the different technical roguish things yeah. that they were doing to achieve these results when, yeah, no one knew. There was no normal. Yeah. It was just anything goes and um, incredible results. And the vector graphics that were going on, yeah, yeah. you know, it, they, they were stunning. I was, mm-hmm. you know, looking at these things, just going, this is unbelievable. Um, and I think we were playing, I don't know if it was Asteroid, but the the missile lights were just so bright, like it it was like they were like it was like a moving LED or something. It was so piercingly bright from the screen. Um, anyway, I loved it. Absolutely, there was a game called Tempest that I spent ages playing, and it was just incredible. All right, I think I've heard that. Um, yeah. That's the other thing about the the, the irony of. Um you know, the Hollywood industry fighting so hard to shut down the Pirate Bay and YouTube and stuff like that. And they've become this amazing archival source of all this stuff. I've heard of directors who have lost control of the content that they made, they directed, you know, 20 Mm. years ago. The publisher who owns the rights refuses or can't afford to publish out on DVD. So there's no legal way for him to even own the content. He's had to go on to Pirate Bay. Yeah. He's had to go on to Pirate Bay to download a copy of his own stuff. And he's relying... The Pirate Bay is peer-to-peer, so he's relying on taking it from everyone else's copy. Yeah. And that, that's the best way, almost. The Pirate Bay is the best thing to happen to art, in a way, because million, there's millions of copies of these films going oh, out yeah. there. Yeah. I and mean, then chances so. are that if some big bad thing happens to the internet... People will dig up a hard drive the other day. They'll work out how to get it spinning again, and they'll be able to discover this amazing yeah, art form. But if it's the only place stored is in the studios lot in California, and bloody oh, it's foolish. And then another company buys them. Super volcano out. goes off, or, or you know, or that company um, they goes they go bankrupt. They're bought out by another company that doesn't particularly care for ninety yeah. percent of their <laughs> stock, or you know, or their um, their back catalog. They just liquidate it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's gone. Why would you keep that stuff? Anyway, I think we better wrap up. It's getting late. Yes, and there's some weird beeping song. I'm sorry about the sound, the echo, and everything. But no, we're hopefully look, back in the shed. It's a wild, possibly wild with note. some new panel members. Yeah, I've invited two new people on. Hope if you don't not, mind. we'll be hopefully if we're back in the studio, we'll be able to do a fang track or something as well. Fang track. Yeah, tonight was a bit of an anomaly, but yeah. you know we're about delivering content regardless <laughs> content, of content, content, content. Regardless of whether you want it or um, not. Now, if you want to follow Campbell White, so in case he does do a possible yeah, Kickstarter. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll... Yeah, look, please give Go me millions. Go to CampbellWhite.com and check out. Check out Follow the Hometime Bell Project. Is it still called that or just called Hometime? Just called Hometime now, but we'll uh, see. And all his amazing other artwork. It's insane. There's You'll all sorts of other stuff. Yeah. Um, um, you can see my photography and weird old short films at jimish.com. Uh, you can find us at fangaround.com. Send us an email. Mailbag at fangaround.com. Pictures or, a tent. Oh, I've replaced, got rid of Formspring. It's absolute garbage. I lost the oh. plot of that. So now if you go to listen to the mail page, there's an ask.fm if you want to send us an anonymous question. But yeah, we'll wrap this up and head off. All right. Good night, dear listener. See ya. Bye.